0: All right, hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining, as always. Today, we're going to be talking about allergies, food allergies, environmental allergies like hay fever and pollen and dust and cats and grass, and full-blown anaphylactic allergies as well. And we're going to be using a book. That's what these deep dive episodes are. As I read these books, I mark the important points or points that stood out to me that I might want to share someday, some way, somehow. Might even be a point that I disagree with, all kinds of reasons that I could save a point, but that's what we're doing. I'm not trying to summarize this book, which is called Allergies, Disease in Disguise, How to Heal Your Allergic Condition Permanently and Naturally, by Carole Bates Bateson-Koch, who's a DC and an ND, naturopath, and chiropractor. And I gave this book a good review on my Instagram, hundreds of book reviews there if you want to check them out. Most of them are about health these days. You can find all of my Instagram pages, all of my other pages like YouTube, and everything that I do, you can find it all on my website, notusbooks.org. You can also find the books that I've written personally, the ones that I've helped publish, and the free audiobook versions of all of my books on notusbooks.org. There you can also find an archive of these podcasts. Not every episode is posted here to Podcastland because we did get taken down earlier this year, and not every episode has been posted back yet. Some of them might never be, so there's some lost episodes there in the archive on notusbooks.org. And if you do listen to those versions, there's a special treat for you at the end. So we're going to jump right in. I saved a bunch of points here. The first one was in a foreword written by Lendon Smith, who's an MD, medical doctor. At that meeting 22 years ago, I learned two things. That 80% of people with food sensitivities have hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, I would agree. And that food sensitivities cannot do everything, but they can do anything. That means any symptom that you could name, from joint pain to migraines to way more serious complications like PCOS or endometriosis. Absolutely, food sensitivities can be involved. Back to the text. The standard traditional allergists are careful to point out that the RAST, a radio sorbent test, or the skin prick test using extracts, diagnoses real allergies. So most doctors, if it doesn't show up on one of these tests, then it's not a real allergy. The treatment is to give injections of these antigen-containing extracts in gradually increasing doses to block the allergic reaction. And I didn't save the rest of this, but I'm going to keep reading. I thought sugar would be the villain in the hyperactivity scenario, but although that food was part of the picture, it was milk, corn, additives salicylates, and more importantly, anything the person liked and craved that caused their symptoms. This is true, we often say this in the business, the most likely food that is causing the problem is the person's favorite food. The one that they like the most and they eat the most of. It's usually a bad food. About 60% of my hyperactive patients had mood swings and restless behavior if they drank milk. They loved milk. I did tests on these children and discovered they were all low in calcium. It's true, you can't absorb very much calcium from cow's milk. In fact, it'll cause calcium deficiency because it's higher in phosphorus. And that's kind of a complicated thing, but we need more calcium, two times more calcium than phosphorus. And when we eat foods that don't have a favorable ratio, it pulls calcium from our bones. Or if we don't have enough calcium in the body in general, it'll pull calcium from the bones just by having too much phosphorus. And that's what you'll get with dairy as well. Continuing on. No wonder they craved the stuff. They needed the calcium. Apparently, however, no matter how much they drank, it was not absorbed because the intestinal lining cells rejected it. Calcium from other foods plus calcium supplements was necessary to provide helpful therapy for their restless behavior. And this is a medical doctor saying this. In summary, the body should be so healthy that digestion will break the ingested foods down into their basic, non-allergic amino acids, fatty acids, and simple carbohydrates. It makes sense then to try to balance the pH of the body, I would add by having enough minerals, especially calcium, to be alkaline. Take in nutrient-adequate foods and maintain a low-stress lifestyle. If problems persist, digestive enzyme supplements should help the body maintain homeostasis. We aim for not just the health, but for a robust zest for living. And that's the end of the foreword, but I guess I should explain before we move on here that this is a very important concept. The idea here is not that these foods are bad, it's that in most cases where you have severe food sensitivities or you might even call them food allergies, the problem really is that the person is not actually digesting or absorbing it properly. And very briefly here, and I do have more detail by the way in my book, Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar. There's a lengthy digestion chapter there where I go through every stage and the problems that you could encounter And if you create a problem in one part of the digestion system, it can create problems throughout the whole digestion system. Again, you can find that book and the free version, the audiobook version, on my website, notusbooks.org. But digestion starts in the mouth. Your body produces enzymes in the mouth that start to break down food. And, of course, you chew it, but this enzyme action also aligns with your body producing stomach acid and stomach enzymes as well. And getting the whole system prepped to digest food, it starts with your mind starting to think about food, smelling food, anticipating it. This is why you could get a stomach ache if you take a quick break from work and you just wolf down some food and go back to work. You didn't have time to prep your body. You didn't think about the food enough to start producing the saliva and the stomach acid and so on. So that could cause a stomach ache. You don't have the enzymes there, the acid there in the intestines. It needs to meet with bile, which is super alkaline breaks up fats, all that needs to be released in time with the food and your brain lines all that up. I'm just saying that a lot of digestion problems are caused by eating too quickly, not eating mindfully. Sounds like some hippie stuff, but this is step one here. Step two is the stomach. Hopefully that food has been pre-digested in the mouth basically with the enzymes and lots of chewing, much more chewing than people normally do. Anywhere from 10 to 50 chews on every single bite of food is optimal. So when it drops into the stomach, the acid can quickly dissolve it, goes into the intestines, is met with the bile, fat's broken up. Hopefully you're not eating inflammatory food like gluten, other processed grains, processed food in general, causing inflammation in the intestine so that those food particles, if they have been broken up in the mouth and in the stomach and in the upper intestine, hopefully they're not inflammatory foods so that they can get to the Rest of the intestine, where there's a whole bunch of finger-like villi, it's like an inverted shag carpet with lots of fibers and microfibers and nanofibers that are all there to increase the surface area so that food particles can kind of get trapped in between them and get absorbed into the bloodstream, which is very close to the villi. The The skin on the villi is very thin, so that it's as close to the bloodstream as possible so that it can be absorbed. Well, the problem here is... How it can cause a food allergy is if food is not properly digested in the mouth or the stomach acid is not acid enough, they're not consuming enough salt, maybe they're having carbonated drinks with meals which lower stomach acid, maybe they're consuming Tums or some other commercial antacid, or maybe they're on a proton pump inhibitor, a drug, a pharmaceutical drug that lowers their stomach acid. They could even just be dehydrated in general, not producing adequate stomach acid, So now food in the stomach is not being properly broken down. But the body's still going to shuffle it to the next stage, which is the intestine. But it's not broken up enough. So when it gets into the intestine, the body might actually absorb those food particles, those proteins that have not been fully broken up. Those carbohydrates that have not been fully broken up. You're supposed to absorb amino acids, not proteins. You're supposed to absorb fatty acids, not full intact fats. So if something is not broken down in the stomach, maybe the gallbladder has been removed and it's not producing enough bile. So the fats don't get broken up properly when they drop into the intestine. Organs need to be healthy. They need lots of nutrients in order to produce their enzymes and the bile. But most likely is the stomach acid thing, in the mouth thing, not chewing enough, not thinking enough, causing a stomach ache because it gets to the intestine undigested. That can cause pain, can cause the system to clog up. But the body's still going to try and absorb some of that. It's going to try and absorb whatever it can. So if you get food particles digested into the blood, I know this is a long-winded thing, but if you do get undigested food particles in the blood, the body's supposed to react to that. It's supposed to create an immune response, an immune reaction. Your body's supposed to deploy cells to go and deal with it. What is this foreign invader? Because you're not supposed to have food particles in the blood. This is one of my primary problems with vaccines, by the way. I do have a great vaccine episode up here called Vaccine Illusions. You can check that out. And yeah, that's one of the problems. This is called dirty blood, basically. You get undigested food particles in the blood. That's already gunk in the blood. That's already dirty blood. But then your body deploys a bunch of cells to go and deal with it. And that actually creates more commotion in the blood, more dirt. slows the blood down. Sticky blood, you could hear it called, too dirty blood or sticky blood, caused by undigested food particles. So this is how a digestion problem can cause an allergy problem. Because there might be nothing wrong with the banana or the cucumber or the chicken or whatever it is that the person has. It could be any food. We get people, especially when they come to us with 10, 20 different foods that they are supposedly allergic to, that's telling you right away that there's a major digestion problem and the body's reacting to those proteins when you eat them again because it's already identified them as a threat before it's like you don't get chicken pox twice because your body develops antibodies and it's ready for the next time it sees that molecule so that's what's happening here in most cases of allergies to be honest most cases of food allergies most cases of environmental allergies hay fever and grass and pollen and dust and all this stuff people are basically just sensitive that's what i call it these are not real allergies they're sensitivities environmental sensitivities And most often, one of the main underlying causes here is a digestion problem. One of the main things we do in the business is we start almost everyone on a digestion protocol these days. Like 75% of people that come to us, they get started on a digestion protocol, maybe even more than that. And by the way, if you do want our advice, I left that out of the intro. You can also reach out to us on my supplement website, wallexwarriors.ca, which will be in the description of this podcast. On the contact page there, we do have a list of coaches and we have a questionnaire. This is always how we do it. If you want health advice from us, the advice is free. We ask you fill out the questionnaire. That gives us enough information to give you a starting recommendation. And any of our coaches can do that for you. You can pick one out on the contact page. And we do make money if you do buy the supplements. But we'll give you the supplement recommendation, the food recommendation, anything else that might be relevant to you in your case. And we're there to help you. We do expect results, so we do expect return business, so you can continue to reach out to us until your health is better. We can guide you along the way. And before I get to the next point that I saved here, just should also mention that reversing a sensitive body, someone who's sensitive to all kinds of different environmental stuff, foods, whatever, whatever other problems they have, maybe they're pale and sickly, they get nosebleeds, maybe they have painful menstruation, maybe they have acne, whatever it is, it's probably going to take six to 12 months to fully correct everything and fully have the type of immune system that is not bothered by dog and cat hair or can go outside in the springtime with pollen, no problem. And I used to be highly sensitive to cats and that type of stuff too. It doesn't bother me at all anymore. But also, if a person is reacting to a whole bunch of different foods, it should be expected that over 6 to 12 months, that should be fully corrected. They should be able to eat those foods again, no problem. In moderation, of course. And that is on the high end of how long it takes to fix, you know, certain problems. Some problems can be reversed very quickly. In the case of multiple allergies, just expect you're in it for the long haul. You are going to be off of processed foods long term, hopefully, anyways. We would recommend this for anyone anyways, even without a disease. But if you want to fully reverse your immune system, fully top up your immune system, it does take a while. The body's going to fix a whole bunch of other stuff. You'll expect to feel just better in general at, you know... Long before you have a strong immune system, you'll start to feel better. You'll start to sleep better, start to have more energy. Digestion, obviously, should be one of the things that you would see a big improvement on rather quickly. And then down the road, you'll expect better and better immune system. And many, if not all, sensitivities and even allergies can disappear. So the next point I saved here was a small one. According to James C. Brenneman, MD, medical doctor, author of Basics of Food Allergy. Food allergy and intolerance are technically forms of malnutrition. So, of course, as I was just saying, your body needs many different nutrients, tons of them. When you're talking about the immune system, you can basically talk about every nutrient. Some of them are more important than others, but this could be a four-hour conversation about all the nutrients that are involved in the immune system. So, yeah, I agree. When it comes to food allergy, it's not just that your body is attacking it, it's that the body is weakened by this process as well. Just by deploying the immune system, your body is automatically weakened because it's using nutrients for the immune system instead of for the digestion system, instead of for the brain, instead of remaking cells. Your body's constantly regenerating cells, but it'll deploy nutrients. You know, this is fight or flight. It'll deploy it to the immediate threat instead of those long-term maintenance type of things in the body and we're already in a nutrient-deficient food system, so if you've gone this far in your life, however far you are, without a serious illness or an actual disease, you're extremely lucky because there's not enough nutrients in the food supply in the first place. So for a lot of people, all it takes is really, you know, getting sick once, or yeah, getting some kind of food food reaction, food intolerance, food sickness, and now they're more deficient than they were before, and they never actually fully catch up because you can't do it with food alone. No culture ever did it with food alone. The ancient people had different forms of supplements. No matter what, we have to deploy more nutrients in the system to top it back up. We're already depleted. That's a large part of the reason why we get sick in the first place. Next point I saved here is several pages in. A good example of this problem is provided by nutrients such as vitamins or minerals, which are never found alone in nature. A nutrient may not test well as a single entity because it needs synergistic nutrients which work together to enhance its action. As a single nutrient, a vitamin may produce a weak effect. For example, vitamin C as ascorbic acid, a single nutrient, may be required in higher doses, but when used in conjunction with bioflavonoids, will produce a better result with a lower dose. Allergy is the cumulative effect of many insults to the body, which, over time, have overwhelmed the body's protective mechanisms. While dust may appear to be the cause of your runny nose, in reality it is only the trigger that activates the symptoms in an already compromised organism. Couldn't agree more. It's not the trigger itself. Dust isn't even a thing. It's made up of many things like, you know, dead human skin cells and spider webs and all all kinds of... Dust is just a blanket term for whatever is floating around, whatever accumulates around us. So if you're actually allergic to something, it needs to be an actual, like a bee sting or... Cow's milk, or something, you're reacting to a specific molecule, and dust is not even a specific thing. But yeah, the right here as well, nutrients are not found alone in nature. Every plant that is known for a certain nutrient also has many other nutrients in it, like more vitamins and stuff, but also more, like they said, bioflavonoids, bioflavonoids, or flavonoids. There's two different groups flavonoids and bioflavonoids. It's complicated. These are hundreds or thousands of special plant compounds that are only found in a few plants or maybe one plant. And most of them are what we would call antioxidants. But just simply calling them an antioxidant, I think, isn't fair. These flavonoids and bioflavonoids are so important that we actually consider them a vitamin. It's kind of a weird thing. We have 16 essential vitamins. Most of the time you'll be given a list that's shorter than that, like 12 or maybe even 14. But one of the reasons ours is longer is because we include bioflavonoids and flavonoids just as one vitamin there, even though it's a group of hundreds and thousands of compounds. So these are things like lycopene in tomatoes, again, usually regarded as an antioxidant, or resveratrol in grapes, very famously. People think they can get antioxidants by drinking wine, and they can. They can get a little bit that way. But that's a bioflavonoid, basically, is the resveratrol, or the curcumin in turmeric, bioflavonoid. So they're saying that, for example, vitamin C works better when it's in conjunction with bioflavonoids. Yes, absolutely agree. This is part of the value of spices, and of course, fruits and vegetables, is because they all have their own specific, special, unique bioflavonoids. Some of them share some of them. Like quercetin and resveratrol, these are in several different plants. But anyways, minerals as well. You're not going to find one single mineral out there. They do exist in veins for the most part. But still, when we have sources like seawater, which has a spread of all the elements or volcanic soil or you know mountain rivers you know anywhere that's known to be rich in minerals spring water even it doesn't have just one mineral in it right like regular hard water from a spring has calcium magnesium sulfur it even has fluoride and very likely small levels of lead all kinds of elements are in the spring water not just one is the point you don't find one nutrient at a time we also don't supplement one nutrient at a time it doesn't work very well and yeah we always like to include multiple flavonoids and bioflavonoids throughout the products because everything seems to work better when you throw in a whole bunch of these special you know superfood compounds and the point above that i i didn't save i think it's worth reading as well the problem is that for many good therapies a double blind protocol cannot even be devised and that's from uh, robert atkins very famous for the atkins diet the double blind is an excellent test for evaluating pharmaceutical and single variables The problem is, as the protocols get stricter in their exclusion of subjectivity, the area of applicability becomes narrower and narrower. The real blind spot in the double blind is that the leadership in medicine continues to insist upon it as the only acceptable proof, even though its applicability is so limited. And that's why I actually saved that paragraph that said, you know, you don't find nutrients alone in nature. So yeah, it is ridiculous when you do see studies, even when they're done by prestigious universities or whatever, When they're just examining selenium by itself, or just selenium and vitamin E, or just vitamin C, sometimes they use A, C, and E, the ACE vitamins, you know, their most uh, well-recognized antioxidants. They give the ACE vitamins together. But still, there's at least 90 essential nutrients, according to us and many others. They all work together, like, they're all connected like a spider web. It's really hard to shine the spotlight on one without also always keeping in mind that they all work together. There's so many different nutrients. Just take vitamin C. Does it cure the common cold? I don't know. Why would we test it that way? Why don't we just give them all 90 essential nutrients like we do for regular people out there in the real world? So when they just study, you know, the effect of vitamin D or, you know, calcium by itself, calcium by itself, they're going to see almost no lab results at all because it has so many cofactors and it's so poorly absorbed by itself. So yeah, double blinds are limited. I think that might be a bit of an excuse as well, just because we don't have that many double blind studies to form the backbone of our belief system here in nutrition, alternative health. We really don't. We have lots of population studies. We have tons of anecdotal stuff. We have lots of animal research, absolutely. What we do specifically with our supplement company is mimic what was done in animals to such great success eliminating almost all diseases they don't have food allergies and stuff animals don't have that unless you give them your uh, you know gluten chicken nuggets they might actually get a rash or get diarrhea or something like that but we fixed most health problems in animals we figured out the nutrient ratios and for almost all mammals the, the all that stuff is more or less the same it's just scaled up per body weight but we don't have human double blind studies to really convince people like hey this is what happens if you take the 90 essential nutrients and that'd be a whole another discussion it would be very very difficult to design a study that people will actually follow faithfully there will be a subset that will follow the instructions faithfully but again in the real world here de- dealing with real people they often don't follow the instructions 100% and many of them are ready to admit that look man I know, I know i was doing good i went on vacation i went wild with the food i just you know i didn't follow my diet or whatever and you, know, you know, real people you can't expect people to just follow the program blindly for you know years, many months at least, to get a realistic view of what's going on. You can't try anything for less than 90 days and really gauge the results. And, of course, they do this with drugs all the time. They have short-term trials. It's a big problem. They sell this like it's proof, and it can't be proof of anything because health is long-term. Sometimes we have people who one day they're doing great. Hey, Ryan, I'm, I'm doing great, feeling great. I had this pain, I'm out of this pain, it's not happening anymore, my goodness, I'm joyful. And then the next week, Ryan, it's back, I don't know what happened. And I might not know what happened either. I'm just saying, it's usually not a linear progression, people usually do not follow everything completely faithfully, and you do need several months, and better is years, to really see the long-term effects of a program. Thankfully, the program we're using has been around over 20 years, we've gotten great results. Over 25 years, I think it's 27 years now at this point been following the same basic protocols and there really isn't a double blind for it we don't even really keep records i know i don't keep very good records i'm just starting to now keep digital records but again they're so sporadic as well i might not hear from someone for six months I already mentioned things can get worse before they can get better so they can have some up and down. this could be a long file multiple conversations all this stuff but so far i've just had no way to keep track of everything we talk with most people on Instagram these days. Now it's also a lot on emails, but still becomes a bit of a mess after a while. I forget things about cases. I've got paper notes. Just saying, comparing this to, you know, a six-week double-blind pharmaceutical study with millions of dollars in funding. It's A lot easier for them to keep those records, but those records also don't mean as much when they're only looking at things short-term and they're only looking at a few specific symptoms and all this stuff. Bit of a rant, but yeah, you can't test individual vitamins and expect much of a result because there are so many essential nutrients. They all work together. And guess what? There's even more factors. What are they eating? Are they drinking alcohol? Do they smoke? Do they take pharmaceutical drugs? Do they stay up all night gambling four times a week? What is their life like? What's their stress like? What's their EMF exposure? There are so many factors to health that a double-blind study looking at, as they mentioned, only one or two specific markers for success, really isn't deep enough when you're talking about health. Next point I saved here, the number one cause of anaphylaxis, this is an allergic reaction, is drugs, especially injected drugs. Injecting a substance bypasses the normal defense system of the body. Yeah, that whole thing about undigested food particles getting absorbed, part of that is that your body does have defense systems all throughout the intestine So that if it were a pathogen or something, it might be defeated before getting into the blood. But when you just pump something right into the blood, you bypass all possibility that it could have been, say, deactivated by stomach acid or by the bile in the intestine, right? It can't handle those extremes of extremely acidic to extremely alkaline. So drugs, the number one cause of anaphylaxis. Penicillin is the most common drug involved in anaphylaxis with aspirin running a close second. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Dyes used in x-ray diagnosis have also caused anaphylaxis, as have some anesthetics used in surgery. Peanuts and other nuts, eggs, fish, and shellfish are the most common foods involved in anaphylaxis. Sulfites added to fruits, vegetables, and processed foods are another frequent cause. Less common, but every bit as important, are the stinging insects. Every year, bees and wasps cause anaphylaxis. And I also saved this last point in the chapter, Allergic reactions have a boomerang effect on the immune system. Although the immune system initially responds with a heightened reaction when an allergen is contacted, the white blood cell population then becomes depressed and remains lower than normal for as long as the exposure continues. This can cause chronic suppression of the immune system if the allergen is consumed or contacted on a daily basis. Yeah, remember, your biggest allergen might be the thing that you really want to consume every day. Maybe it's the chocolate, maybe it's the chips, maybe it's wheat, barley, rye, or oats. And yeah, drugs are not harmless. They can cause side effects, including anaphylaxis. Next point I saved. Studies have shown that when the stomach has an absent or diminished supply of hydrochloric acid, low stomach acid, even more macromolecules are found to be absorbed by the intestine. There you go. They're not being broken up by the extremely strong stomach acid that's supposed to be there. So they go into the intestine undigested, and of course, even more of these macromolecules, because they haven't been broken up into their individual amino acids or fatty acids, are found to be absorbed by the intestine due to the fact that there are more particles present. Also, when trypsin, a pancreatic protein-digesting enzyme, is inhibited, more macromolecules are absorbed. Another study showed that low stomach acid results in increased formation of antibodies to cow's milk, More antibodies to cow's milk if you have low stomach acid. Gotta consume enough salt to make stomach acid. The body reacts to macromolecules in the bloodstream by producing more antibodies. Other ways the intestinal lining can become damaged are prolonged bacterial, viral, or yeast infection, parasites, toxins, decreased oxygen supply to the mucosa, and x-radiation used in treating cancer. Yeah, radiation really tends to destroy the cells in the stomach and in the intestine fast replicating cells like hair. These are the ones that are damaged the most in radiation and chemotherapy. This is a big part of the reason many people lose their appetites during chemo or radiation or after. And I didn't save this point, but I should read it. Digestive diseases are the second highest cause of doctor visits. I didn't know that. Common intestinal conditions associated with food allergy include ulcers, sores in the mouth, canker sores, colic, diarrhea, constipation, hemorrhoids, colitis and Crohn's disease yeah those last two are a hundred percent caused by eating processed foods especially gluten all of the processed grains wheat barley rye oats buckwheat quinoa causing those intestinal inflammation diseases so yeah said that earlier already you need strong stomach acid and there's scientific proof you absorb more food particles which you don't want when you have a low stomach acid your doctor is going to tell you the opposite they're going to say strong stomach acid is bad and put you on a proton pump inhibitor if you're having heartburn. But the reflux is caused by a lack of stomach acid. It's the opposite of what doctors tell you. All right, here they're talking about the difference between allergy and addiction. But they're listing here common withdrawal symptoms from food. Influenza-like feelings. Feel like you got the flu. Aching of all parts of the body. This is withdrawal. We've, we've heard this. Withdrawal from sugar. Withdrawal from Gluten. High temperature or fever, yeah, you could actually get sick getting off of processed foods, temporarily. Eating real food, eating the best organic food ever, you could still get sick from withdrawal. doesn't happen to everyone, it could happen though. Severe headaches, just like quitting coffee. Palpitations, pains in parts of the body that have not been affected before. Withdrawal effects have been known to persist as long as 20 hours when an allergic food is eaten only once in 24 hours. One little cookie. When the allergic food is eaten three times a day, symptoms are most likely to be noticed first thing upon arising in the morning. Craving it first thing in the morning. And I didn't save this, but I'll read on a bit. It is easier to become addicted to a refined, processed food than to a whole food in its natural state. A refined food has lost its normal protective ratios of synergistic vitamins, minerals, and enzymes either by removal or destruction. This alters the way the refined food is metabolized in the body. Yeah, it doesn't have any enzymes, it doesn't have any vitamins, bioflavonoids. Not all of it, but most of this stuff has been removed in most foods, especially all the refined grains and sugar. For example, sugar acts more like a drug in the body than like a food because it has been refined to a pure form, devoid of its complementary nutrients. In its natural state, as sugarcane, it supplies B vitamins and many trace minerals, including chromium, And chromium is absolutely essential for healthy blood sugar. It's part of the glucose tolerance molecule, glucose tolerance factor, GTF. And you need that to use insulin properly. When refined sugar is eaten, these nutrients must be supplied from body stores in order for the sugar to be metabolized. You need the B vitamins and the chromium and the other trace minerals to metabolize sugar, absolutely. And it's supposed to be in the plant, absolutely. If these nutrient stores are depleted, alternate metabolic pathways of the body must be used which can create an imbalance in the body's biochemistry. They're saying the body's deploying other nutrients, like it already has its B vitamins doing something else, but it's got to deploy them to actually deal with the sugar that you just put in because you put in refined sugar that doesn't have B vitamins with it, so now it needs to use its own B vitamins to deal with it, to metabolize it. This results in altered signals to the brain, leading to craving and addiction. Eating whole foods in a natural state has been shown clinically to be the quickest way to eliminate cravings. Well, I would add mineral supplements and all 90 essential nutrient supplements to decrease craving as well. That's usually one of the most common and relatively quick results that we get. Like Not immediately, sometimes, but usually over the weeks and months that someone starts, they report back a lot less cravings because now they're getting the nutrients that their body's craving for. Even if you eat whole organic foods... It's not going to have enough nutrients in it. It's impossible. Nothing is putting more minerals in the soil. So your body remains hungry when it doesn't have enough of this, you know, salt, calcium, iron, other trace minerals. It'll remain hungry. This happens in livestock too. They'll chew the barn and they'll start eating leather gloves and the handles on tools, eating dirt and clay. And the farmer's supposed to give them a trace mineral salt block and add bone meal to their feed. And the behavior should stop very, very quickly. It's called pica in animals. Very well known. In humans, it's called the munchies. It's nutrient deficiency. And food addiction, too. Addicted to the food that's screwing up the body. Other point I saved here. Delayed food allergy appears to be simply the inability of your digestion tract to prevent large quantities of partially digested and undigested food from entering the bloodstream. Once in the bloodstream, allergens may be deposited in tissue causing the symptoms and inflammatory diseases we call by other names. It could be Crohn's disease. It could be arthritis. This is why they said at the beginning, this could show up anywhere. A food allergy problem caused by foods could show up anywhere in the body. So they're saying the food allergy is inability of your digestion system to prevent your body from absorbing whole food proteins. Well, you're not limited. You can control your digestion system. You can provide enough raw constituents for stomach acid, especially salt. You can take betaine hydrochloride as well, another common source of hydrochloric acid. You can consume ample amounts of B vitamins and all the other 90 essential nutrients that you need for your metabolism. You can take digestive enzymes, which at the beginning of this book, that other guy was saying that he may use them. I'll tell you, I love starting people with an enzyme product, at least one enzyme product, because we get fantastic results on it. Because the modern food supply is also devoid of enzymes. Enzymes are only in basically raw foods. They're killed at very low temperatures. Any type of processing will kill all the enzymes. Most forms of cooking, unless it's extremely low temperature, will also destroy the enzymes. Microwaves will destroy the enzymes. Anything in a bag or a box, you can assume it has no enzymes in it, unless they've been put in, like some cheeses. But most of us eat mostly cooked food most of the time. So therefore, we are lacking in enzymes. And enzymes are what do work in our body. They told us this in sixth grade science class and we all forgot it. Enzymes are proteins that do work. Your body makes a bunch of enzymes to do all kinds of things. Already talked about the ones in your mouth. There's enzymes in your stomach as well. Pepsin that is with the hydrochloric acid. That is stomach acid. Hydrochloric acid and pepsin. These are enzymes that your body produces to digest things, but your body can produce enzymes to do all types of things, deliver messages, transport hormones, etc. So we need enzymes. We also need nutrients because enzymes and nutrients work together. Nutrients work as cofactors for enzymes. They allow enzymes to do their work. But if there's not enough enzymes there, then you might be putting in a bunch of nutrients that don't have a job to do. Your body's only producing a certain amount of enzymes. We produce less as we get older, especially if we're unhealthy. And most of us do not get any enzymes, really, from raw foods. So supplemental enzymes are tremendously important in getting results with a lot of people. Again, we start almost everyone on a digestion protocol, partly for this reason. And I myself now, I take enzymes every day, full time. I didn't always think that we needed them all the time. Now I do believe it unmatched results by the way for any just one product that can do so much and i'm not even talking about one specific enzyme product here i'm telling i'm saying a range of enzyme products that i have used with many 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 people they get such wide varying and dramatic results that i can't really compare it to any other product i've ever seen especially not in the speed of the result enzymes tend to work quite quickly next point i saved here they're talking about the difference between airborne allergy and food allergy And by the way, they mentioned earlier that there's really no consensus on what allergy actually means. That other point that I saved that was like, you know, official doctors usually only think if it shows up on the test, then it's an allergy, but not that it could be associated with a random scattering of other symptoms. It's got to show up on the test or it's not an allergy. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about allergies that are really sensitivities, like I mentioned pollen and dust earlier, cats, like you're not getting an anaphylactic reaction requiring an EpiPen. To cats, most likely. You'll usually see those anaphylactic allergies to foods or drugs. And so a lot of people say if it's not anaphylactic, then it's not a real allergy. I even say that. So just understand that allergy is a loose word here. It could mean hay fever and it could be a life-threatening allergy to a bee sting. The most common that we see is a variety of food sensitivities. Foods that just don't agree with the person. They don't cause them to go into shock or have a seizure, start foaming at the mouth, anything like that. So they're saying here, the food allergen reaction is more insidious than the airborne reaction. Whereas the airborne reaction is fairly local, in the eyes, nose, sinuses, air passages, the food allergen reaction has far-reaching consequences. For example, the released inflammatory prostaglandins cause the stomach to secrete less hydrochloric acid. You react to the food, you produce less stomach acid. Hydrochloric acid is necessary to stimulate the production of pepsinogen, a protein-digesting enzyme. Without sufficient pepsinogen, protein cannot be properly digested. This lessened production of hydrochloric acid also causes the food to enter the intestine in an under-acid state. Without sufficient acid, the pancreas underproduces the bicarbonate necessary to alkalize the food since it depends on the acid to stimulate this production. So that's pretty complicated there, but if the food is not properly acidified when it drops into the intestine, now the pancreas is going to produce less bicarbonate. Why that's important It's because this pH is extremely important for all of the enzymes that are doing the work. Enzymes in the stomach, obviously, function under a very low pH, strong acidity. Those same enzymes would not survive in the intestine and vice versa. The intestinal enzymes require a strong alkaline environment to work. So this bicarbonate from the pancreas drops into the intestine to meet this super acid food and turn it alkaline. And if it's not doing that, then even if your stomach acid is not as strong as it's supposed to be, that food can actually burn the inside of your intestines. All because the pancreas did not produce enough bicarbonate because your food wasn't acidic enough so it didn't signal the pancreas to do that. And with less bicarbonate, the pancreas is also not stimulated to produce and release the necessary digestive enzymes to complete digestion. There you go. So you're in a serious situation here now. Not able to digest your food properly from basically all angles needs to be the right pH, it needs to be broken up properly, and you need enzymes to go in and do the work. You could supplement with pancreatic enzymes, but here this is very interesting that literally just the reaction to the food allergen causes this ricochet effect to really detrimentally impact the digestion system. gives you less stomach acid, which then produces less bicarbonate from the pancreas and less enzymes. Triple whammy. And of course, the powerful chemicals released during the allergic reaction like histamine, other hormones, stress hormones and stuff that your body releases during an allergic reaction are capable of causing inflammation of the intestine, just like eating gluten inflames the intestine. This can cause inflammation of the intestine, which in turn will cause the intestine to become more permeable to food particles because now there's less surface area, right? The, The little hairs, the little fibers, the little villi are now inflamed, so now they're less little. They actually have less surface area now. But when they're inflamed... The lining on them is already very thin, right, to be close to the bloodstream. So picture a balloon from a clown, right, when it's not blown up all the way, one of those long balloons that they can twist into an animal. When it's not blown up all that way, you can still tie it up, and it's very malleable. But picture it blown up to the extreme now, where it's bursting. It's almost about to burst with air. That's kind of like these inflamed villi, where now the blood is extremely close to it, and these food particles can just float on by and get stuck to the villi and be absorbed into the blood. So this allows more non-fully digested food particles to gain entrance into the bloodstream. Brings us to the next point I saved. Herein lies the secret of food allergy. When food is completely digested, that is, broken down to the smallest particle that it was designed to break down to, it is basically rendered non-allergic. This is because when food is fully digested and enters the bloodstream in that state, the immune system recognizes it as a familiar particle. Food! Or, I would say, nutrients, because that's what it is. It's individual amino acids, individual fatty acids, minerals, vitamins, antioxidants. But food, I would say, are complete proteins and fats and carbs. When incompletely digested particles enter the bloodstream, the immune system recognizes them not as food, but as foreign invaders, which provoke an attack reaction. The secret to stopping food allergy, then, is to make sure that food is fully digested in order for the adverse reactions to stop. I agree. Next point I saved in the section, why avoidance is not the answer. If you have had allergy skin testing performed, you probably tested positive for yeast and mold. Avoiding yeast, fungus, and mold is nearly impossible because fungal spores are everywhere. They're in every breath you take. Fungus has been found at 11,000 feet in the air and 5,000 feet under the ground. Mold has been found growing inside the gasoline tank of wings of jet aircraft. No matter how clean you keep your home, yeast and mold still thrive. If you put covered cultured petri dishes in each room of your house, fungus will be growing in them within 24 hours. All of the focus of avoidance advice has been on the external environment. It is time to turn our attention to the internal environment. What is the difference between an allergy sufferer and a healthy individual? The difference is what is going on inside the body. Both people are exposed to the external environment, but only one of them is reacting adversely to it. Therefore, it is not the external environment that is the cause but rather something that is going on inside the body of the allergy sufferer. So, yeah, really good point here. Quick story. Back before I was uh, fully healthy with the supplements and everything, I was still in pain. I was still sick all the time and pulling muscles, not sleeping properly, all this stuff. Still a stiff man. Still had my stiff man syndrome. My mom lived at a place for a while that had a moldy basement, and I didn't know it was a moldy basement, but I stayed there for a while and I got incredibly sick. And I know it's not a direct comparison, but this summer, we had a pipe burst, and we had to rip the whole wall out, and it's full of mold all throughout it, and it took us a while to actually repair the wall. And we did spray it down with diatomaceous earth and some other antimicrobial stuff that we have, but still, you could see, obviously, there was mold, and this is like seven, eight feet away from where I sit all day. And this time, now that I'm healthy, my immune system's good, I got all the nutrients, don't eat junk food... I had no reaction to it at all. And I did mention, I used to be very sensitive to cats and that type of thing. Pollen in the spring, I would have hay fever and all that. Don't even remember what that's like now at this point. So I do agree that we cannot fully avoid these things. You know, you have people say, I'm sensitive to mold, I'm sensitive to this and that. But if they really did everything they could to boost their immune system, then that should not be an issue anymore. And it might not happen right away, but they make a great point here. The external environment is the same for all of us. But how healthy we are on the inside determines how well we can face those threats, whether they're allergens, pathogens, stress, and so on. And they make even better points here. Rotation of foods is another form of avoidance, right? So yeah, I'm sensitive to all these foods, so I'm going to avoid these foods or I'm going to rotate my diet. By eating each food only once every four to five days, many adverse reactions can be avoided. And many people recommend this. Just rotate your foods around. So that way, whatever you are reacting to, you're only gonna react to it like once every five days or whatever on your rotation. But as they say here, this may make you feel better, but it again does not make you well. We know this from the fact that when you stop rotating the foods, many of the symptoms begin to return and it can become a cumbersome lifestyle. And they say elimination is also a form of avoidance, which yeah, I would agree with, but if the food is fundamentally bad, like modern processed grains, processed meats with nitrates and nitrites burned food, margarines and other oxidized oils, like those foods are fundamentally bad. So eliminating them is not just like a form of avoidance here. It is an effective method of stopping damage on your body. But here they bring up something, you know, very, very important about actual anaphylactic allergies as well. I've heard many people that apply this method. I'm not actually legally allowed to tell you to do this. It's called desensitization, which is to introduce small bits of the substance at a time. Like if you're allergic to shellfish, you would have just the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little bit of it every day, a few times a week, something like that to build up your tolerance to it. Again, I can't recommend you do this, but it's called desensitization. Can also help allergy symptoms. Starting with tiny amounts of substance and gradually increasing those amounts can help train the body not to react to the substance. However, this also does not take into account conditions inside the body that may be producing the allergy in the first place. It might be nutrient deficiencies. It might be just a food reaction of food that you're eating every day, like if it's wheat or something. While the person may stop reacting to the substance that was desensitized, he or she often starts reacting to new substances. Haven't fixed the problem. Food allergy especially tends to rotate into new foods. This is because desensitization does nothing to help heal the digestion tract. Yep, very important to note, you want to strengthen the body at the same time, you want to eat good foods, you want to take supplements, you want to fortify the intestines with probiotics, you want to consume lots of enzymes on a daily basis in food and or supplements, enough salt to make stomach acid, and so on. Next point I saved. Established factors which lead to a pathological growth of candida include the following. Drug therapy, particularly antibiotics, birth control pills corticosteroids, and immunosuppressants. What do you know? You suppress the immune system, candida grows. Because we always have candida in us. This is back to what they were saying about we can't avoid fungus, you can't avoid mold. It's everywhere. Well, candida is always inside of you as well. E. coli is always inside of you. Epstein-Barr and lots of these other... Scary pathogens are inside of us all the time, but they're kept at bay when we have a healthy immune system. So what do you know? You take immunosuppressants, you get a candida overgrowth. And the other factors that can lead to pathological growth of candida include lowered immunity in general. That's all they said, lower immunity. Mold in the environment. And okay, so you can't avoid mold fully, but I'm not saying to live in a moldy environment. We did have to take care of that mold thing that we had going on, but I'm just saying I was definitely exposed to it at close proximity And we obviously did not catch the leak when it first started happening. That's why there was a whole wall full of mold. So we were both exposed and did not get sick. High sugar diets, another factor. Good thing I don't have a high sugar diet. Candida may be acquired from birth from an infected mother. And infected's a weird word there because, again, this is something that grows in us all the time anyways. Like, fungus is not something that you pick up. The spores are already everywhere. They're just waiting for the body the acidic body, the sick body, the dehydrated body, the damp body, to try and gain a foothold in. So the point I actually saved here, of these factors, antibiotics has been the most implicated because of the ability of antibiotics to destroy up to 95% of the healthy colon microflora probiotics, which keep yeast numbers in balance, thus allowing candida to flourish. It is the intestinal flora that directly restricts the growth of candida or its conversion to a pathological colony. These friendly bacteria keep candida in balance by competing for food and by producing the B vitamin biotin, which helps to block yeast overgrowth. So yeah, definitely agree. Almost every chronic problem that we ever see, male or female, has a history of drug use. Common pharmaceuticals like over-the-counter painkillers, birth control pills... And definitely antibiotics. It's rare to meet someone who has not had a history of antibiotic use. And you get a lot of young women who are on all three of these things basically all the time. Birth control permanently, usually not even for the purpose of birth control, but for like regulation of periods. Acne even could be prescribed birth control. And of course, yeah, they're cycling on and off antibiotics. And of course, since birth control usually does not fix the menstrual problem, especially when it comes to pain, they rely on over-the-counter painkillers. Quite often, triple whammy, all of which lead to the overgrowth of candida, especially the antibiotics. And to me, that's not a surprise, and they go on about, you know, how much antibiotics are prescribed, and it's a lot, and I'm sure you know that. And I'm moving on, talking about a study for candida in 1990. The results of this study showed that three of the four different questionnaires tested proved to be equally as accurate in diagnosing candida as laboratory blood tests, cultures, and antibody assays. In fact, some of the laboratory tests, such as the Candido Immunoassay and the Albicans Antibody Teeter Test, also require correlation to a questionnaire. So I know why I saved this, because we use a questionnaire. And yeah, now and then I see this mentioned in books, actually many different books, even some I've read recently, like, you know, how to fix your own uh, PCOS or endometriosis. Those aren't the titles, but they're like, do-it-yourself, fix your hormonal problem, and they had many questionnaires in a lot of these books. A lot of generic health books have their own questionnaires in it. They fill this out, determine how bad you are on the thyroid scale or blood sugar. And since I'm not a licensed and regulated medical practitioner, I'm not a doctor, I can't actually diagnose anything. But what I can do is give you a questionnaire, just like you would get in your dentist. You go to a dentist for the first time, they make you fill out a questionnaire. Are you on any drugs? Have you had any surgeries recently? A lot of stuff, age, weight, height. So we have a questionnaire and it yeah, gives us enough information to recommend a protocol. If you reach out to us on our contact page, on WalluxWarriors.ca, link in the description. If you do that, we give you a questionnaire. And actually on the contact page, the questionnaire is there. So I just like to feel validated when other professionals are using questionnaires to diagnose candida. And here there was a study that showed that the laboratory blood test cultures and antibody assays actually were not as accurate as the questionnaire. And some of them Required correlation to a questionnaire means you still have to ask them a questionnaire to really figure out what is going on. Tests are not accurate enough, and a lot of doctors will have that mindset that if the test shows negative, then nope, then you don't have candida. But you very well might. You might have an acid digestion system, doesn't have enough probiotics in it, you might have multiple nutrient deficiencies. In fact, you almost certainly do. And that can be the reason you have a weak immune system and the reason that your internal environment is favorable for pathogens because it's acidic, because it's not healthy, because there's not enough fiber, because there's too much processed foods. So I saved that because the questionnaire can definitely be as good as a lab test in many, if not most cases. Only if a case gets complicated, if they don't respond as expected to our regular protocol, will I then start to look for more information and only possibly then in the form of a blood test. I can't even order a blood test for them. They have to do it. And usually it does not tell us much. There are some clues that you can get from the blood, but in general, a questionnaire gives you all the information that you actually need for most people. Next point I saved here, it's just a quick one. I've been collecting things that can cause psychosis, any form of severe psychosis. So here they mention the antibiotic cycloserine, which can cause hyperirritability, aggression, psychosis, drowsiness, loss of memory, seizures, paralysis, convulsions, and or coma. And these symptoms are clinically indistinguishable from the symptoms caused by psychic trauma. And how it fits in here to what they're saying, they're they're talking about molds and they're saying a characteristic of molds is that they produce antibiotics, which they release into the surrounding environment to kill competing bacteria in the vicinity. Sneaky molds, chemical warfare. These fungal products are capable of damaging tissue cells, especially nerves. So yeah, the point I saved was just about the cycloserine, but I think they're making the point that A mold produces this. So molds are known to produce symptoms three ways. Molds give off toxins. That was number one. Number two, the immune system can produce antibodies which lead to allergic reactions to a specific mold. And number three, molds cause an increase in the number and intensity of allergic reactions to foods and chemicals. All right. I just saved the psychosis point. Here they're talking about tapeworms. They inhabit the small intestine they attach to the mucosa and absorb nutrients, especially B12 and folic acid, and give off toxic waste products. They steal your B12 and folic acid. These waste products may produce symptoms such as dizziness, unclear thinking, high or low blood sugar, hunger pains, poor digestion, and allergies. A tapeworm can really mess you up. I think I saved it because of the blood sugar point. Look into that. I was annoyed at this book that it did not reference its... Uh, but it didn't cite its references directly. There is a reference section, but there's no, like, numbers directing me on the pages. Just very annoying. It's one thing I fault books for. Please give me the reference. Don't make me dig for it. Because I would like to look into that for the blood sugar, because I have a blood sugar book, and I will update it one day. Put some extra tidbits in it. Maybe this tapeworm point. It would be nice if they gave me the reference. And I didn't save this, but I'll read it. In the intestine, this parasite may consume 80 to 100% of the host vitamin B12. You might get dementia, you might get schizophrenia, massive vitamin B12 deficiency. And there's a dementia called vitamin B12 deficiency dementia. Producing a condition similar to pernicious anemia. Yeah, you're going to be pale and tired. So it just might steal all your B12. Next point is a point I did not know. In the United States, one out of three surgeries takes place because of digestion problems. One in ten deaths is attributed to digestive disorders. The vast majority of digestive conditions develop slowly over a long period of time. Many people think that if they do not have pain or discomfort in their stomachs, they do not have digestive disorders. They do not realize that excessive gas, belching, burning, bloating, heartburn, nausea, cramps, diarrhea, and constipation are all symptoms signaling that the digestive process is not proceeding normally and should not be ignored. See, I really, I'm pretty sure I just saved the one out of three surgeries takes place because of digestive disorders. did not consider that. One in ten deaths for digestive disorders. Stop eating gluten. Eat lots of probiotics and enzymes. Do not listen to the doctors about lowering your stomach acid or avoiding salt. If you want to have properly functioning stomach acid. Skipping forward, next page I saved. Traditional medical treatment considers abstinence from the food allergen to be the most effective treatment. While this may relieve symptoms, if, if you don't eat the food you're allergic to, then yeah, you won't get any symptoms, but it will not get the person well. Avoiding the food is treating the symptom rather than the cause. The egg is not the cause of the patient's symptoms, although the egg may very well induce all kinds of reactions. Helping an incompetent digestive tract to work better is a more rational approach. It is necessary to eliminate the egg only until the digestive tract is healed and functioning normally. If you can't digest the egg, you can't get its nutrients, but you can get allergic reactions. Yep, great. Definitely agree. Avoid it for now. Try a small amount later. See what happens. Next point I saved, they're talking about bile. Bile is what is released from your gallbladder. Your liver makes bile and it sits in the gallbladder and waits for food to come from the stomach to get dumped into the intestine And at that moment, your gallbladder releases bile to break up the fats, like soap. And at the same time, the pancreas dumps in the bicarbonate and dumps in the enzymes. All that gets to work before it gets absorbed into the intestine. So here they're saying that insufficient hydrochloric acid, once again, low stomach acid, is always associated with poor bile flow. Now this is a quadruple whammy here. Remember that food could cause your stomach to have low stomach acid, which could cause your pancreas to produce less bicarbonate and less enzymes, and now also less bile flow. And you need that. Oils and fats must first be emulsified by bile in order for digestive enzymes to penetrate them. If bile is too thick or the supply of bile is insufficient, digestion is severely restricted. Food will be incompletely digested and may accumulate in the lower digestive tract where putrefaction can take place. So if there's not enough bile, not enough enzymes, not enough bicarbonate up there... And first of all, some of those incompletely digested proteins can get absorbed into the inflamed villi of the intestine. Second of all, that waste is in a different form than it's supposed to be. Since most food is supposed to be broken down already, the only stuff that's supposed to make it into the large intestine is really just like fiber, cellulose. Right? They say insoluble fiber, fo- soluble fiber. All that stuff is going into the large intestine, mostly undigested, and that feeds the probiotics. But that's how the waste is supposed to show up in the large intestine. But if it shows up, this this toxic batch of undigested, acidic food particles, your probiotics don't feed on that. Your bad bacteria does feed on that. The candida, the yeast, the mold, that loves that stuff, that toxic waste. Also... If your body's not eliminating that completely, then it's sitting around in the large intestine, and a lot of those toxic waste products can be absorbed into the blood that way. So it can be a big problem here. Said earlier, you have a digestion problem in one part of the system, it can easily cause basically the whole system to start failing in a domino effect. And before I get to the next point, I just want to take a minute and tell you about my friends down at the American Biodental Clinic in Tijuana, Mexico. I really appreciate this business because I get asked all the time, where can people go to get their mercury amalgam fillings removed or their root canals reversed properly by someone who really knows what they're doing, the state-of-the-art materials, whatever they are at the time, and a business that really has your well-being at heart? Well, to me, that's American Biodental. Very convenient, just a few minutes from the American border. They pick you up and drop you off in a private shuttle. That's free, that's part of it. If you do choose to go to them to get your fillings removed root canals reversed, any other dental work, or anything else that they offer. The transport over the border is free, so you don't have to worry about getting insurance on your car or navigating the crazy streets of Tijuana, even though it's only a few minutes in. You don't have to worry about that. They'll pick you up as far as the San Diego airport. And this is not some back alley facility. It's actually kind of like an alternative health mall. It's inside of a major hotel, actually. And yeah, there's several businesses that operate inside of it. And you wouldn't even know you're in Tijuana, to be honest. I know a lot of people are kind of scared of Tijuana. You don't have to be. It's safe. They're professional, clean, everything. Know what they're doing. Been doing it a long time. I've known them for a long time as well. Only recently, finally got an affiliate with them. So that if you mentioned that you were referred by not us, that's me, not us, you'll get $50 off if you spend $400 or more. Which is around the cost of a filling removal, by the way. I'm sure there are many great dentists in America, but I do know that in Canada, and America, and many other countries, dentists are greatly limited on what they can even talk about. Many of them, even friends of mine that I know that are dentists, are very, very hesitant to talk about holistic dentistry. And the ones that are operating do know what they're doing. They also cost a lot more in America or Canada. And I just don't have their names to recommend them, so I do recommend the American Biodental Clinic, And you can see everything they do at AmericanBioDental.com. And I do strongly recommend avoiding dental problems by having proper nutrition in your life. But if you do have a mercury filling, supplements won't fix that problem. Root canals have been called by many people the most toxic possible thing that we modern people are exposed to. Because you have anaerobic bacteria living behind there. It's a big problem. I don't have any fillings. But if I did, I would be getting them removed at American Biodental Clinic. Check them out. Consult with them for free. AmericanBioDental.com, also in the description. And now we'll get to the next point that I saved in the book. How do drugs interfere with the intricate digestive process? Over-the-counter and prescription drugs can exert many adverse effects on the intestine and its processes. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, aspirin, and steroids such as prednisone and cortisone can suppress repair of the intestine and damage the intestine. They also have been shown to increase gut permeability. So the intestine is not discriminating on what it's letting in and what it's not, aka more food particles can be absorbed. Long-term steroid use may cause stomach and duodenal ulcers, which contribute significantly to intestinal hyperpermeability. And of course, antibiotics disrupt the normal balance of bacterial microflora in the gut, which can lead to overgrowth of pathogenic organisms. Infection and inflammation may result, as well as the loss of some vitamins produced by the friendly intestinal bacteria. So if you kill the bacteria, you also lose the vitamins that they produce, including some B vitamins and vitamin K. Next point I saved. In fact, some authorities estimate that the intestine makes up to 80% of the immune system, which I've saved this figure in many different books, and it's... Not always 80%, whatever, it's a big part of our immune system for sure. Us having a healthy intestine, not inflaming it with processed foods and gluten, having a lot of probiotics, making sure our whole body has enough nutrients so we have nice strong healthy organs, producing the right amount of bile, right amount of enzymes, right amount of bicarbonate, stomach acid, all that stuff. They got a quote here, the metabolic activity of the gut flora is potentially equal to that of the liver, and if you know anything about the liver, that's a big statement, probiotics being just as important as the liver, and I would agree. Moving on to the next point, enzyme inhibitors. Besides deficiency, some substances are enzyme inhibitors that actually inhibit the activity of enzymes, which I think is implied in the name. Maybe they could have phrased that sentence a bit better. Most medications, including aspirin, are examples of enzyme inhibitors. Yeah, almost all drugs work by blocking something in the body, and most of the time that something is an enzyme, because enzymes are what do the work in the body. Organic solvents produced from petroleum or natural gas are used in many manufacturing processes and are known to inhibit a wide variety of enzymes. Organic solvents, including methanol, ethanol, propanol, formic acid, ethylene glycol, hexane, benzene, and butanol. These chemicals can be found in numerous everyday products, including paints and household cleaners. Some foods contain enzyme inhibitors. Seeds, nuts, grains, and beans contain enzyme inhibitors which should be deactivated prior to eating by soaking, cooking, or sprouting. And most harmful food compounds, by the way, whether it's phytates or oxalates, most of them are destroyed either by soaking, baking, cooking, or sprouting. And soaking or sprouting results in replacing enzyme inhibitors with abundant energizing enzymes. Instead of them being a bad thing, they're a good thing. Next point I saved is cellulase. And you know it's an enzyme if it ends in ace. Like lactase is the enzyme that digests lactose. Enzyme ends in ace. Cellulase has been shown to be able to digest yeast fungi responsible for yeast overgrowth syndrome. So it can digest the yeast and fungi. Cellulase. The body does not produce cellulase. Cellulase plays a valuable role by breaking down the soluble fiber found around all the cells in fruits and vegetables. Cellulase is liberated and begins its work when the cells are broken apart through chewing. While all raw fruits, vegetables, and whole grains contain cellulase, high levels are found in vegetables, wheat, and millet. Don't eat the wheat, though. Fruits such as apples, papaya, pears, and some melons also contain high levels of cellulase. Since the human body does not produce cellulase, chewing raw fruits and vegetables, well, lots of chewing, releases the cellulase from the cells and aids in the digestion of these foods. Cooking vegetables and fruits will break down the cellulose layer, but also destroys the enzymes, cellulase, contained in the food. And that's at low temperature, destroying enzymes. But you can supplement with cellulase. Next point. How is digestion linked to the immune system? Here is the vital link. If white blood cells are giving up their enzymes to aid in the digestion process, they will have fewer enzymes for destroying bacteria and foreign invaders. With fewer enzymes, the leukocytes become sluggish and immobile. This is a mechanism by which you can impair your immune system every time you eat enzyme-deficient food. The body's immune response is being mobilized to compensate for a lack of enzymes in the food. This can exhaust the immune system needlessly. There is a connection between the strength of the immune system and the body's enzyme levels. The greater the level of enzymes, the stronger the immune system and the healthier the person. And yeah, I said it earlier, honestly, some of the best results I've ever seen in the supplement business have come from enzymes and we have a lot of people who don't want to get off the enzymes, including myself. So other than getting on our program, using our enzymes and stuff, I do recommend at least two foods and that is apple cider vinegar, raw with the mother, which is the bacterial culture, it'll say that on the label, with the mother, raw with the mother. Two to four ounces of that per day will provide a whole bunch of enzymes and some probiotics as well. And I also recommend raw, unpasteurized honey, a tablespoon or two a day, as another source of enzymes. And of course, any raw foods will work as well, raw eggs. I've been experimenting with raw garlic and raw onions because I've read it in several books, things like Eating a whole bulb of garlic, or clove, whatever you call the whole garlic, could kill a tapeworm. And worms, it can be a tough answer on how exactly to kill worms. Guarantee success. So I'm interested, so I thought I'd try this out, and and boy, raw garlic takes some getting used to. (laughs) It almost made me throw up the first few times, for sure. Made me very nauseated, but now I can eat two of them without feeling like I'm falling over. And eating the raw onion, yeah, I'm still working on it. I can't eat the whole thing in one sitting now, but I try to eat it just like an apple. There's another way to get more enzymes, by the way. This is me trying things out. You can't say something works or not if you don't try it for at least 90 days. I'm not switching to a full raw diet, but I've definitely incorporated a lot more raw foods. And the daily enzymes, for sure, have helped me big time. Moving on to the next point. According to Dr. Phil Philpott, when the pancreas is overstimulated, the bicarbonate production is the first function to be inhibited. So your pancreas is busy making enzymes to digest all of the processed or cooked food that we're eating. Even good food, cooked food. So now your pancreas needs to do a lot of work to produce all those enzymes to digest all that. Because there's no enzymes in the food if it is cooked or processed. Another great reason to take supplemental enzymes is to take pressure off of the pancreas. This is not me reading, this is me telling you. So they're saying when the pancreas is overstimulated, making all these enzymes to digest our cooked and processed food, the bicarbonate production is the first function to be inhibited. So remember, we need that to make the intestines alkaline when food drops in from the acid stomach, and that's the first function to be inhibited. This is a function not given its proper place of importance, for it plays a major role in the acid-base balance of the body. Without sufficient bicarbonate production, the acid from the stomach cannot be adequately neutralized in the small intestine, and the whole body can become acidic from lack of bicarbonate production. The consequence of here, of course, is compromised digestion, particularly of protein. When protein cannot be broken down into amino acids, new enzymes cannot be built, because enzymes are proteins. They're proteins that do work, right? They're made of amino acids. So you've got a compromised digestion of protein, therefore you have a compromised digestion of amino acids, Therefore, you cannot actually make the new enzymes that you need to do everything else in the body, including digest more protein. Great points there. I really liked this book. There's a whole lot more. I'm skipping over tons, getting to the next point. And I like this. They pointed this out about table salt, because lots of people just say, oh, table salt is toxic. It's bleached. It's denatured. It's stripped of all its other nutrients. But that never to me explained why that's bad for the body. I get it, obviously, it just sounds bad on the face of it, but it's not an actual explanation, just saying that it's processed and that's why it's bad. So here they say, the sodium that the body requires cannot come from the sodium found in table salt. The reason is that table salt has tight ionic bonds, which are difficult for the body to break apart. Table salt has been heated to over 500 degrees Fahrenheit in the refining process, making those bonds even tighter. The body can easily use sodium with loose covalent bonds, such as is found in raw fruits and vegetables. These foods are the main suppliers of sodium to the body. Now, see, I don't agree with relying on uh, foods to get enough salt. It's true, there is enough salt in some foods, such as sea fish, seafood in general. But it's not the sodium I'm worried about here. It's getting enough chloride to make stomach acid. So tight bonds was their reason. And that makes some sense to me. But I'm quickly going to move on here. I know we're going a bit long. Next point I saved here is in the chapter Calcium Facts and Myths. Refined sugar. Ingestion of sugar increases calcium loss through urine. When foods containing calcium are taken with sugar, the absorption of usable calcium through the intestine is greatly reduced. Dr. J.B. Orr demonstrates that rickets, a calcium deficiency causing deformed bones in children, can be induced by the use of sweetened condensed milk. Many junk foods are a high source of sugar. (laughs) Obviously. okay, Lowers your calcium absorption. Next point I save, next chapter in the fats and oils chapter, surprising link to allergy. Although milk is a highly allergenic food, it's true, it's like the most common allergy on earth is cow's milk, highly allergenic food, butter seldom causes an allergic reaction. That is true. There's plenty of people who are, they full-blown say they're lactose intolerant, but they can actually eat butter. Tons of people we've had who are very, very sensitive to dairy, but they can do butter actually, no problem. But they're saying that other commonly eat fats pave the way for inflammatory or allergic reactions. And I didn't save that, but I'll tell you, it's too much omega-6. We eat way too much omega-6 in our diet. We tend, in America, tend to get 10 to 20 times more omega-6 than we're supposed to have because we're supposed to have omega-3 and 6 at a one-to-one ratio. Almost everyone agrees on this. Mainstream medicine, everyone, one-to-one ratio, but we're getting way not enough omega-3 and way too much Omega-6, especially in all processed foods, all cooking oils and all this stuff, oxidized oils, meats, eggs, chickens that have not been fed omega-3, because plants make omega-3, but animals don't. So if the animal's not fed foods that are high in omega-3, it doesn't have high omega-3 in the meat, or the eggs, or the dairy. So, yeah, they go deep into that. I'm not going to go deep into that. We will do an omega-3 episode here in the future. Stay tuned. Next point I saved here... Since 1977, the asthma rate has doubled and asthma has become the most common chronic respiratory disease of children. In Canada, 13% of all students surveyed had current asthma. Even I had asthma as a kid. Canada has concluded that there is a general trend of increased deaths and hospitalizations from asthma recorded in all the industrialized countries of the world. Another startling statistic is that one out of every 12 members of the 1988 U.S. Olympic team was taking medication for asthma. So I just saved uh, those stats there, but I will tell you how this relates to this allergy topic. You'll see they already have a focus on digestion. Well, I promise it's a food, a.k.a. a a digestion problem, causing the vast majority of asthma. Asthma is usually a very easy thing to get rid of. Usually all you have to do is get rid of the processed grains, wheat, barley, rye, oats, buckwheat, and quinoa. Quinoa is a little bit of a weird one. You may be able to return to eat a little bit of quinoa as long as it's not highly processed after your digestion is fixed. But for now, it's the gluten grains plus oats plus buckwheat and quinoa. Get rid of those completely. And usually that is all you need to do to stop asthma. Asthma is technically a steroid deficiency. Your body makes its own steroids from cholesterol, cholesterol, the master steroid in the body. And you need steroids to dilate the bronchi in your lungs. Also, need the other fatty nutrients. It's basically a fatty nutrient deficiency, which results in a steroid deficiency, which is why they give you a steroid inhaler and it actually helps because it is a steroid deficiency. But you should be making your own by avoiding those bad processed foods, especially the glutens, eating plenty of the good fats, especially in eggs, seafood if you have an ethical source, grass fed butters, avocados, and more. You need a good amount of fats for proper lung function. The next point I saved here is about MSG. Food additive. In 1978, MSG was removed from baby food because it was shown to cause damage to the brain stem in infants. MSG masquerades under the name of hydrolyzed vegetable protein, audiolized yeast, hydrolyzed yeast, vegetable powder, or natural flavors. So it could just be hiding in natural flavors. A lot of people are worried about natural flavors, and MSG is one of the reasons. MSG occurs in large amounts in foods other than additives, often in gram amounts rather than milligrams. So grams, that's a lot. A lot of, You could have grams of MSG in your restaurant dish. The average daily intake is one gram. A typical Chinese meal contains five to ten grams. Although MSG is ordinarily associated with Chinese food, nearly all restaurants use MSG. And yeah, since reading this book, I've been paying closer attention to that. And I definitely think that almost all restaurant food, unless it's just like a steak, that's the only ingredient, there's probably MSG in it. I realized recently when we saw a pho restaurant, pho, Vietnamese bone broth soup, that they had an option in Boulder, Colorado, which is very health conscious. They had the option to say if you want MSG or not. You could tell your waiter, I don't want MSG. Well, that made me assume that everywhere I've ever eaten, that dish has MSG in it. Of course. That's why we can eat these huge bowls of it. We're not huge people. The MSG keeps you eating, turns off your satiation signals that are supposed to tell you to stop eating. So they're saying that this could cause, the digestion problem basically could cause headache, asthma, chest pains, diarrhea, blurred vision, fatigue, hot flashes, numbness around the face, sweating, palpitations, and urinary discomfort. And I've talked at length about my problems with restaurants. Posted an episode recently called Traveling. Traveling well healthy because traveling is unhealthy. And one of the reasons is because you have to eat at restaurants or you're more likely to. And MSG is one of the reasons that I don't like restaurants. Went on a big rant about it in that traveling episode. And I save one more point here. Fast food restaurants are particularly heavy users of MSG. Practically everything that is breaded contains MSG. MSG. This includes fried chicken and chicken nuggets. You shouldn't be eating that stuff anyways. Nothing breaded unless it's gluten-free. And even then, I wouldn't trust a restaurant. Fried fish, cheese balls and sticks, fried zucchini, onion rings, and breaded meats such as pork chops and veal parmesan. Who would suspect that MSG might be added to some brands of water-packed tuna or dry roasted nuts? I believe the nuts. Soy sauce, bouillon, and canned and dry soups are more obvious sources. Other foods commonly containing MSG are ketchup, frozen dinners, frozen vegetables, canned and cured meats, and noodle dishes. Vitamin B6 is necessary for the metabolism of MSG. Therefore, MSG has the effect of causing vitamin B6 deficiency. And B6 in sufficient quantities has been known to stop reactions to MSG. Next point I saved is about aspartame. This is in their chemical allergies section. And this is a whole other topic that we're really not fully... Describing here, yes, of course, you can be sensitive to chemicals just like foods and just like those non-food respiratory sensitivities like pollen and dust. There are many people who are chemical sensitive, but there are also many chemicals that we deliberately expose ourselves to, especially with our restaurant choices and grocery store choices. And aspartame, definitely, you're doing this on purpose. You can avoid aspartame. They're not sneaking aspartame into your soup like they're doing with MSG. So the point I saved here... More lawsuits have been launched against aspartame in the length of time it has been on the market than any other artificial sweetener. It was first approved for use in 1981. 1985 used more than 800 million pounds each year in the United States. Aspartame is the technical name for several brand names including NutraSweet, Equal, Spoonful, and Equal Measure. Aspartame accounts for over 75% of the adverse reactions to food additives reported to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. 75 percent of the reported adverse reactions aspartame many of these symptoms including seizures and death were reported in a february 1994 department of health and human services report 90 different symptoms were documented in the report 90 symptoms included headaches migraines dizziness nausea muscle spasms weight gain rashes depression fatigue irritability tachycardia insomnia vision problems hearing loss heart palpitations breathing difficulties, anxiety attacks, slurred speech, loss of taste, tinnitus, vertigo, memory loss, and joint pain. Recognized allergic symptoms are severe itching, hives, and swelling of the lips, mouth, tongue, and throat. Studies show that a high intake of aspartame could cause brain damage in infants. For this reason, some obstetricians advise mothers not to consume products with aspartame during pregnancy or breastfeeding. And I would say never, just never do it. Just never consume anything with aspartame. It's not food. You will not find this in your chicken or your fish or whatever. Your salad. In addition, some chronic conditions are thought to be triggered or made worse by aspartame. These conditions include brain tumors, multiple sclerosis, epilepsy, chronic fatigue syndrome, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, mental retardation, lymphoma, birth defects, fibromyalgia, and diabetes. And then it goes into the three different chemicals that aspartame is made of, but I did not save that. Moving on to nitrates and nitrites. These are primarily used as preservatives in cured meats to which they impart a pink color. Nitrates react with secondary amines, nitrogen compounds, amines, found in foods containing protein to form nitrosamines, because protein has nitrogen in it, so it forms ni- nitrosamines. Very small amounts of some nitrosamines can cause cancer in animals. And an internationally recognized authority on nitrates, Dr. William Leginsky, considers nitrates in meats to be the most dangerous food additives today, and they are major contributors to cancer. He feels the nitrate and nitrite used in luncheon meats, ham, sausages, bacon, wieners, bologna, pose a significant risk to children. Now, basically all processed meats, read the label, you want nitrate-free, and fortunately there's a lot of them out there on the market these days, especially in America, but you have to check, many of them use celery as well. And celery powder, when it's heated, turns into a nitrate basically. So on your label, you also don't want to see celery. No nitrates, no celery. There are some, what we would call processed meats. There are some of those options without that stuff, without nitrates, without celery, especially if you go to a butcher. It is very popular now. People want bacon and and so on that doesn't have nitrates in it. They want pure bacon. A butcher will supply that. Next point I saved, second to last point here. We're almost done. Recent discoveries reveal that the surface of lymphocytes and monocytes primary cells involved in immune function, are covered with receptors for neuropeptides. This comprises a tangible immune system link. So these cells could communicate with the brain, potentially, neuropeptides. And they went deep into this. I'm not going to go deep into that. But yeah, I definitely believe that your body can communicate all the way through from the digestion system to the immune cells to the brain and nervous system. And science is just barely discovering this in the modern time. We do not know how it all works. The body is a miracle of engineering. We're just scratching the surface. And the last point that I saved here is about vitamin C. Vitamin C appears to act as a natural antihistamine. Remember, people take antihistamine drugs when they have hay fever or something, cat allergies. It's one of the most profitable drugs in the world, antihistamines. Well, vitamin C appears to act as a natural antihistamine. Large doses of 8 grams or more have been known to break an allergic reaction in 4 to 5 hours. And I do have a vitamin C deep dive episode here. You can check that out. And yeah, we talk about these mega doses up to eight grams. And I'll throw in here as well, other natural antihistamines. One of them is water. We need a lot of water. A lot of people are chronically dehydrated. They're not consuming half a gallon to a gallon or two to four liters. They're not consuming that much per day. They're consuming coffees, sugar drinks, energy drinks, alcoholic drinks, all of which are actually diuretics which causes us to lose more water than we put in. If you drink a cup of coffee, you urinate out more than a cup of coffee. You lose more than you put in. And with that, you lose your water-soluble nutrients as well. You lose your salt, your vitamin C, your B-complex, your calcium, potassium, magnesium. These are all your water-soluble nutrients, and they're all being flushed out with a diuretic. Just saying that chronic dehydration is a large part of this you know, chronic metabolic problem as well. And once again, almost everyone with a chronic problem that comes to us, especially the very severe ones, people who are in lots and lots of pain, you know, they're severely anemic or whatever it is, dehydration tends to be a factor. So I'm just saying that water, not only do we need a lot of it, and most people are not getting enough of that in general, water is also an antihistamine. Hydration is an antihistamine. So along with that is calcium, one of the major electrolyte water-soluble minerals, which is also an antihistamine. So we need all these nutrients anyways to run properly, to build our cells, build our tissues, repair them, create new cells. We need them to run our immune system, to run our metabolism, and to not have excess histamine. Histamine's a natural thing, but we're not supposed to have that much of it. We can suppress it, you know, in quotes, with doing all the stuff that we would normally do to be healthy in general. And they just had a little study here too that I didn't save, but I'll read it. Researchers at the Methodist Hospital in Brooklyn studied 400 people with blood levels low in vitamin C and high in histamine. These people were given 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily. Very reasonable, normal dose. People take that all the time. It was found that the histamine levels of the blood dropped. An improvement was seen in the allergic symptoms. That's it, just 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C, which is not a lot. And, of course, they talk about bioflavonoids enhancing the effect of vitamin C, which we already talked about and I could talk about many other nutrient deficiencies and they they do. They mention a bunch here too, which is which is good. They don't mention all 90 essential nutrients, all the trace minerals, all the amino acids, all the essential fatty acids in proper proportion. But those are conversations for other days. We put a lot of this information out constantly. If you didn't know, you can check us out on Instagram. We have thousands of posts. We do regular story question and answer sessions there. On the Instagram, Warriors. Obviously, we have tons of podcasts here as well. Some of them are deep diving into these nutrients specifically. Most of the episodes here are about health in general. And that is the point here. The more you know, the better. The better for you, the better for me because I'm in the health business. I sell stuff that helps people get healthy. The more you know, the better customer you are. But the better customer you are means the better results that you get as well. We would be out of business if we did not get good results. Medical doctors get paid even if you get a bad result. A bad reaction or even if you die on the operating table they still all get paid we absolutely do not get to keep customers if we do not get results so we're here to help you you can reach out to us of course on any of our channels including instagram or preferably our contact page on wallexwarriors.ca that is in the description once again pick a coach send them your questionnaire we'll give you a recommendation to get started If you do happen to be a complicated or difficult case, you will get referred to me. I will look at your case or maybe take over your case. And, of course, if there's something I don't know, I will go straight to Dr. Joel Wallach himself or many of the other people and doctors that I can consult with who have been doing this longer than me. I've been here just about 10 years at this point, but I still lean on a lot of people if you are a complicated case. Just saying you're in good hands if you want to reach out to us, especially by the contact page, by email. Our job is to help you. We do not charge for it. We do make commission money on the supplements if you choose to buy them. Either way, you'll get the information that you need to make major changes in your life and hopefully see major results from as well, including in the allergies category. To wrap this up, once again, to reiterate, this is a completely solvable problem. We see this all the time. We see people who have multiple food sensitivities or intolerances or allergies or whatever you want to call them. People who cannot tolerate so many different foods, so many different things, cosmetic products. They got to use special makeups, hypoallergenic shampoos, and all this stuff. Meanwhile, when we go in, work on the digestion, eliminate the foods that cause the biggest problems, especially the processed grains, put in the 90 essential nutrients at appropriate doses. Again, usually we start with a digestion protocol the first month. All this stuff tends to go away, the sensitive skin, the sensitive eyes, the skin problems and dryness and scaly skin and eczema, dermatitis, psoriasis, mood problems, weight problems, cysts, hair growth. Women could be maybe growing too much hair because they have a hormonal problem which has to do with this digestion. This whole digestion thing, I know this is about allergies, but once you correct digestion, numerous other things can clear up. Or you see improvement on just by fixing the digestion. Again, this could be achy bones and joints, it could be wild hormonal fluctuations or mood fluctuations, hyperactivity, headaches, migraines, so many different things can just disappear when you correct the digestion. I'm not guaranteeing that digestion is your problem, I'm saying that this is a very, very common root of overall disease. And normally these people have multiple symptoms, they don't have just one problem. And it's usually not just one food. So it is correctable. You can reach out to us if you'd like our guidance on how to do that. If you want to see these episodes at least one week early. And if you want to support this podcast, we don't have any ad revenue. Even the uh, dental clinic ad that I threw in the middle there. Nobody has ever paid me to read an ad. Those are friends and colleagues of mine. I do get a credit or cash for referring people. That's for sure. But that's an affiliate deal. We don't have any actual sponsors or revenue to this podcast, other than the Patreon at the moment. So if you want to support directly, you can do that on Patreon for as little as $1.99 per month. You can see the episodes early, you can see the video versions when they are available. And we also post our Zoom meetings there. We do a weekly Zoom meeting, my other supplement distributors and I. And we do kind of deep dives on a lot of subjects. And if you are interested in health, I think it is very valuable, because a lot of it is stuff that I won't actually go full on and make a video about just to time intensive, I, I don't get that many views on YouTube, so I just won't make those videos. So we can go into a lot of stuff that I'm not going to pin down elsewhere, and we can really flesh it out. We go through cases live there, and it's a learning exercise. What would we do for this person in this case? And go through their case. Anyways, you can see all those on the Patreon as well, patreon.com slash therealnotus. That, of course, will be in the description as well. Appreciate it if you do sign up. Hugely grateful to the patrons that are there. I am trying to do more and more podcast episodes and put more and more effort and research into each one. Because I do think these are valuable in the long term, of course. What we just covered today, if you take that to heart, it, it was beaten in there pretty well. To correct the digestion and you could correct your allergy syndrome. If that was taken to heart, we could literally shut down the antihistamine business. People could breathe freely and eat freely all year round if they knew these techniques. So it is up to us to spread this. Hope you enjoyed it. Would appreciate if you shared this with anyone who needs to correct their allergy situation or who's interested in health in general. Once again, you can find everything else that I do on notusbooks.org, contact info or other channels, Instagram, YouTube, the books that I've written, most of which are about health, and the free audiobook versions to all those books, all on my website, notusbooks.org. If you're listening on the archive version, which is also on the website, notusbooks.org, Those versions have a special treat at the end, so if you are listening on the archives, stick around after I sign out. Everybody else, I appreciate you. Stay healthy, my friends. Until next time.